Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Real Life Real Crime Daily for Friday, March 17th, 2023. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Mike Agavino. And those of you who are loyal listeners out there know I never go second in the intros. But we are once again in missing man formation this morning, and I have to tell you, it's it's kind of nauseating. Driving up here, it, it's like when Ferris Bueller got sick. Bueller. In, and you know how they changed the water tower to save Ferris? It's like save Woody up here where, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he's I'm sure he's got a little fever. We would have thought all those years in law enforcement, you know, he'd Skin would be a little thicker, but he's legitimately sick. We know he's legitimately sick, but there's just a little bit too much of this save Woody stuff going on. And so <laughs> to uh, to overcome the loss of our leader, we have chosen a very special guest this morning. Reinforcements have arrived. Reinforcements have <laughs> arrived in the female variety of reinforcements. Yes. Yes. So introduce yeah. yourself, special guest. I am here to save Woody from the man cold. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Kelly Jennings. Hey, everybody. How are y'all doing? Kelly's here. KJ. <laughs> KJ in the flesh. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, we are excited to have you. I mean, I have big shoes to fill, but I'm here. Yes, you do. And I'm going to try my best. They're small shoes, but it's a big mouth. There we go. So... <laughs> so and we're confident you can yeah. fill the big you there can you fill go. the big mouth. There you go. Let's start off with the story that's dominating the news cycle over the last 48 hours, which is the story about two Russian fighter jets uh playing around, toying with, uh harassing whatever you'd want to call it, a US military drone in international waters, international airspace above the Black Sea and uh the the game of chicken or whatever game was being played by the uh, Russians ended badly because one of their planes, one of their Su-27 aircraft, struck the propeller of one of our $32 million unmanned MQ-9 Rap Reaper drones. And uh, our, uh, our military were forced to bring that drone down following the collision because they couldn't operate it properly afterward. It's important to understand what the utility of these drones um, are, what service they provide. And and uh, uh, we're flying them in that area because we're using them to provide intel that we share back with Ukrainian forces as to the location of Russian forces. And so uh, they have been providing important intel throughout the war between Russia and Ukraine back to the Ukrainian uh, army. And so this is a pretty provocative event. Uh, I think most of the experts weighing in on it are sort of leaning toward the, you know, the Russian pilots got a little too cute. They were, uh, they were supposed to probably do what they did with dumping uh, fuel onto the, uh, uh, onto the drone, which, prevented the cameras from operating properly. That was that was probably the purpose of what they were doing, but they got a little bit too close and hit the propeller. And then you know where the story goes after that. So we've been uh, now listening for a 24 hour plus cycle to folks weighing in from all sides. A uh, video was just released hours ago that that's kind of, it's kind of hard to uh, to draw that much from the video, but you know, I think it supports the uh, the uh, the line of thinking I just shared with you that it was uh, two pilots who were harassing this uh, this drone that got uh, a little too cute, maybe uh, maybe a little bit irresponsible, and uh, or maybe a lot of bit irresponsible, and ended up clipping the thing. So uh, our U.S. Air Force General James Hecker weighed in on this thing and said. 
our MQ aircraft was conducting routine operations in international airspace when it was intercepted and hit by a Russian aircraft, resulting in a crash and complete loss of the MQ-9. In fact, this unsafe and unprofessional act by the Russians nearly caused both aircraft to crash. This word, unprofessional, <laughs> I mean, that made I, me I, don't, it, it, I don't think I've ever heard it used in this kind of a context, you right. know, country versus country. It's the kind of thing you say to the worker that you just got an HR complaint about right. and you bring him into your office and, you know. Kelly says that you've said some inappropriate things around the lunch table. That's really unprofessional. <laughs> and, you know, but but you have this synchronization between uh, whether it's our uh, spokespeople for the government, people in the military, everyone who has weighed in on this has used the word unprofessional here, which means it's a it's a coordinated talking point between all of these people. They're supposed to say unprofessional, which you know, doesn't convey uh, to me, it doesn't it. convey the, yeah. doesn't convey a lot of strength. Right. And I want to, to your point, you know, the word unprofessional is not what happens in war. We don't have unprofessional in war. We have rules of war, but we don't have unprofessional in war. And to my, in my humble opinion, right? I think that the American people are probably going to get tired of hearing things like unprofessional, like let's cut through it. Tell us what's going on as much as you can within, you know, the scope of, you know, um, not telling us too much as far as national security goes, but come on. Yeah. Come on. Unprofessional. Yeah. That was, that made me laugh when I read that. And look, I look at this situation and in some ways it's a, it's, it's a little bit funny when you really unpack it. Uh, The drone was obviously Ukraine and Russia are in a war right now. And this drone was giving information to the enemy. So from Russia's standpoint, and look, I, I'm no Russia defender, but from Russia's standpoint, I mean, I, I don't think anybody would have avoided taking that uh, drone down. If well, it was in international it. airspace, it but wasn't I mean, in Russian airspace. You know where it's going, you know, it's getting information for the enemy. Would the United States have shot that down if it would have been in reverse, that situation? No. No, no way. You don't think no. Tom I, Cruise would have went up there and Well, I you know you can't. He would have been inverted. Tom, Tom Cruise <laughs> would have, he, he would have, he would have certainly inverted. been inverted and he, he would have certainly given, shot them the bird. But, <laughs> yes. but uh, you know, something to that too that was interesting to me, just because we're in Louisiana, right? Was, you know, recently we had a situation that kind of was just kind of, you know, glazed over a little bit. It seems like people didn't pay much attention to it. But we had two guys that were um from Brooklyn, New York right here in Louisiana, and they were arrested and charged for flying a drone over three of our chemical plants in Louisiana. Mm. Now, this is what really caught my attention. Their names were Vladimir Dorogobid and mm. Tigran Avestian. Yeah, they're not from Burbridge. No, they're not from Burbridge. <laughs> we Boudreaux's and Thibodeau's. Yeah, and if right. it was Vladimir, you know, Thibodeau, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's right. But I just found that really interesting. So then, you know, inside that vehicle, they found uh, one of the guys had on uh, goggles, kind of like controlling it, like, you know, virtual reality style. And they were asked to land the drone, which they did. They complied, complied and they landed the drone. But what was even more interesting to me was that when the detectives were questioning them, those men refused to show them the drone and refused to answer any questions about what was going on. Mm. So, and then they they tried to hide their drone in a field. Mm. So if there was nothing to this, I find that kind of weird that you would go hide it. I understand if you don't, you know, you have the right to remain silent, fine, do it. But, but why are you hiding? Yeah, But if you're not doing anything wrong, why why exercise the right? And so, you know, they said they're working with the FBI on this case. They're trying to, confisc- you know, confiscate the, the drone and the cell phone and all that. But, wow, isn't that interesting to fly over Dow Chemical? Mm. And then, you know, they're they're trying to claim, you know, they bonded out. And they're trying to claim later on, I saw an update saying, oh, we were trying to get footage for a movie. That dog does not hunt for me. Yeah, that's not not much for Russian films. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I, I don't think Vlad is a uh, native of Sheepshead Bay, at least no. my last <laughs> My last check no. on on Brooklyn, but you know, look, there's there's been a number of things that have gone on. Um, you know, we haven't talked about the Chinese balloon in a few weeks, but uh, 
there are a few stories that have uh, come out that reference the potential use of a balloon type of delivery system for an EMP attack. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you've ever read anything about EMP attacks or you haven't, uh, go ahead and Google EMP attack, electromagnetic pulse. And uh, uh, an electromagnetic pulse of a certain size delivered at a certain altitude could wipe out everything electronic within a very wide geography. And And to to our younger listeners who might be out there, we know this from Call of Duty because you can drop an EMP. (laughs) It's one of your rewards. Then it knocks out all your communication. Wow. So um, (laughs) they're long and early. Look, it just shows there's there's more uh, sensitivity right now to what's going on across the world than there has been in, you know, most of our lifetimes. Look, and I'll say this, you know, people, people 40 years ago, 60 years ago, there was not this technology. You you didn't have drones. You didn't have balloons. Well, you had balloons, but they weren't flying them over other countries like they do now. The, the issue with so much technology that we have nowadays is it makes spying almost easy. Uh, back in the day, you had to be the guy with the attache case and, you know, you spoke two different languages and you had nine passports in your wallet and all of those sorts of things. Now, it doesn't even require a human being, really. Uh, you could just shoot a drone anywhere you want. And if you can get away with it, you get away with it. So it's it's a different world. Spying is done on all levels throughout all countries. Sometimes it's innocent. You just want to you're nosy and you want to see what's going on. And then other times it's it's to Mike's point that maybe you're planning to do something at some point. And to not be an alarmist, but you know I'm a school teacher for listeners who don't know. And uh, our students, right? I teach high school students. They are grossly underestimating what is capable in this world. You know, we live in this in this bubble of you know, we live, we have a, we have a good life and we go to school and our biggest, biggest complaint is we lost the football game on Friday and maybe we don't have enough money. But when you look at the big scale of things, you know, I, I don't want to be an alarmist, but you know, there's a lot more at stake here. And I think that the American people, um, better open their eyes and better wake up to the realities because the home front is at stake. Let me ask you a question. I remember elementary school, and I'm older than you guys. Uh, so elementary school for me was uh, 1970s, early mm-hmm. to mid 1970s, and we uh, regularly had drills for air aid, um, where you know we're taking every kid out of every class. You're lined up against the walls. You have your hands uh, above your head in a uh, in a braced position, and you're curled up. Anything like that mandatory we've, in schools these days? We've moved on to active shooter. Okay, right. That's what right, we're right. really doing is we're trying to, to you know, fortify the school, if you will, from, from an active shooter. That's, you know, the air raid thing I think is kind of lost. But, you know, the um, when I was in New York this past summer, I was kind of stunned that on the radio and on, uh, you know, media that you would see out there, they were talking about um, nuclear to protect your – how to protect yourself from a nuclear um, exposure. Good luck with and I'm that. like, good Lord have mercy, you know, duct tape your doors, keep your doors shut, close your windows, you know, wait for the fallout. <laughs> I'm like, my God. Well, it, yeah, it, that's look, crazy. it is scary out there. And I think uh, what bothers me about uh, this incident is our response to it, which is more or less, we've decided it was accidental. We decided it was unprofessional. We sort of through forgiveness out there um, in our opening statements before really even assessing what actually happened here. And uh, and the, the Russian response has not been one of contrition. It has yeah. not been one um, uh, anywhere near as, uh, you know, uh, sort of pacifistic. Pacifistic, is that a word? Um, we'll take it. Uh, as, <laughs> as, as the U.S. And so... It's just a little bit concerning. This seems like something we should have reacted with a stronger voice to. I mean, walk softly, but carry a big stick. I mean, where has that gone? Because I believe in, look, you can look professional and put your tie on and have your collared shirt, but you also need to be ready to kick ass and take names and protect the home front and protect the people that are here. And 
sometimes and maybe I'm out of line to say this, but sometimes um, professionalism is not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about do they get the message that we're not playing with you? Yeah, it's there's a delicate balance there, yeah. but but we that that response, you know, really aired on the soft side yeah. versus, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, might've been more moderate and delivered a more effective message. So we'll see where it goes from here. Turns out that soldiers found almost 2 million fentanyl pills in Tijuana one day before Mexico's president claims fentanyl isn't made in the country. (laughs) Okay. Anyone with a brain cell knows that there's a lot of dope coming from Mexico. We know that. That's not a question. It's it's a fact. Um, And so Mexico's Defense Department said on Tuesday that soldiers found over one – it says 1.83 million pills in a stash house in a border city – of Tijuana. And, you know, this, the department said that in a statement that the soldiers staked out the house Sunday after the authorities received a tip that the site was being used for drug trafficking. So they got a warrant and they found all of those opioid pills. And in addition to that, there was 880 pounds of meth in the house, 880 pounds. So that's a lot of meth. That's a, that'll mess you up. As Mike Tyson was saying. Right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the cartels have always been in, in, in control. <laughs> Sorry. The cartels have always been in control there. You know, their government is pretty much a sham. The, the, the government and the cartels are in bed with each other. Everybody knows that. And so the cartels have used the border city to press fentanyl into counterfeit pills. And then they're smuggling them right into the United States. And so, um, if you're not familiar with fentanyl, it was developed as a pain management treatment. And, you know, it's a hundred times stronger than morphine, according to the DEA. Right. And right now we are in the throes in the United States of America. We are in the throes of a fentanyl overdose epidemic numbers range in over 70,000 people in the past year. That's, that's insane. And look, even the, the drug Narcan, which uh, is used to basically bring people back to life after they have an overdose, a drug overdose, is becoming in short supply because there's such an ep- epidemic with fentanyl. And right you have now. to be hit with Narcan more than once. That's what I don't think people understand. You know, the overdose is quick. You know, fentanyl is water soluble. I mean, just touching the power, inhaling it. It'll kill you within minutes. And you get hit with Narcan one, two, three times. Wow. Well, and now some of these cartels are lacing the uh, pills they're pressing with, I forget what it's called, but something that uh, makes it Narcan proof. And so the Narcan will be ineffective on those kinds of pills. And if there was ever anything to indicate how clearly this is murder, I mean, this is oh. this is with intent. This is China to Mexico. It once once the uh, it gets in the hands of the cartels, it is just about money. They don't care about people. China knows that, um, and uh, if you look at it from the point of origin, it's about killing young Americans, and that's exactly what it is doing to the tune of seventy thousand in the last twelve months. And you know, it's no wonder. You know, we we talked about uh, last episode the story of the two Americans that were. Uh, that were killed in Matamoros that uh, where the woman had gone for uh, the tummy tuck surgery and and the fact that the mm. uh, the Gulf cartel down there had uh, uh, called it a mistake, had surrendered the people responsible back to the Mexican government and had, uh, you know, their I guess their vice president of abductions and uh, and kidnappings write the apology letter um I mean, that just shows you how dependent they are on this drug trade and wanting to make sure they protect it at all costs and how corrupt it is there where the law enforcement in Mexico is not doing anything because. No, because they have plateau plomo, silver or lead. You either take our money and you shut up or you take a bullet to the head. I mean, it's not. Exactly. <laughs> and so, choice. Uh, you know, this is a this is a huge problem that uh, that is becoming. You know, I think it's a major uh, campaign issue, and it's why we see maybe Washington sort of coming together a little bit to uh, to understand what a threat this is, and and um, and getting some bipartisan support for uh, some reactions. 
Absolutely. And if we really want to take it on, you know, Border Patrol, you know, everyone's like, well, what, what are they doing? What, you know, if they're not stopping it at the border, what are they doing? Well, if you know anything about how that works, you know, for every one 18 wheeler they stop, 25 more are getting through. So what we really have to understand, too, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, is our young people are at risk. You know, just because you're a drug addict doesn't mean you're not valuable and that you don't need recovery. And this is going to end up killing a whole lot of people. Oh, it already has, but it's going to end up killing a whole lot more. Agree. Well, and I remember a day where uh, Mexico had a lot of respect for the United States and a lot of appreciation for what the United States has provided to Mexico to have the president come out and claim that his country is safer than the United States, you know, a week after the kidnappings to have um, uh, to have him say that there's no problem in traveling safely through uh, through Mexico and uh, Mexico's nationwide uh, homicide rate is 28 people per 100,000 inhabitants. That is four times Documented. the rate of homicide in the United States. Mexico is not safer than the United States. And uh, I don't know what that says that you have the Mexican president making claims like that. I mean, I just can't see that ever happening in the past. Well, it's smoke and mirrors because that's documented when they, you know, that they, that they're documenting, you know, how many people go missing in Mexico each year. And they know for a fact, I don't know if you know what, y'all know what a Giza is. You ever heard of a Giza? So, so these, these young people in Mexico, even from Mexico, not even, you know, Texas and, and real, real close. Um, all these teenage females are going missing and they're like, Oh, we don't know what happened to them. No, we know exactly what happened. They were kidnapped by the cartel. They were sold into sex, slavery and prostitution. Then when they done with them, they put them in a barrel and they light them on fire and they turn into a burnt crisp ball. It's called a Giza. That's what they do. Oh the cartel God. is not a joke. You know, the, um, you know, the, the cartel cuts people's heads off and kills them. Yeah. You know, the cartel comes and mows down a uh, Barry seal, you yeah. know, and in broad daylight in front of hundreds of people who, you know, right, right there. This is, this is smoke and mirrors. This is anyone who doesn't, who just believes everything that they read and everything that they hear. And they believe just because you're a government official, you're going to tell the truth. That's what that was said for and written for the real, the people with the brain that knows what's going on and that we have a terrible problem in this country and that border is an issue. Um, drug problem is out of control. It's coming across that border and we need to attack it. For sure. hundred percent. Uh, so we'll keep you we'll keep you posted on that and any other comments though. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Jim, we need a lighter, we need a lighter story. We do. We do. And y'all, it's St. Patrick's Day today. And look, we at Real Life Real Crime Daily are no different than anybody else. We celebrate. We wear our green. We want to make sure we don't get pinched, right? So hopefully everybody out there listening has their green on today. Um, we're going to give you two stories. We're going to give you a couple of St. Patrick's Day stories. One of them is straight from me. I have one that I want to share with you all that I thought was pretty funny. Um, so my kids, I have twin girls that uh, this is their senior year of high school. And when they were younger, and when I say younger, I, they might have been in second grade. My wife, of course, you know, it's holidays, and they could they could wear, like, free dress day for holidays. And St. Patrick's Day was kind of a free dress day, and they could wear green. So my wife, getting in the spirit, she goes to the store, and she gets some green T-shirts that were, you know, they had the, the leprechaun on them and, uh, or shamrocks or whatever. And she, she brought them home and that's what they were going to wear to school. So the next day we're all getting ready for everybody to go to school. Uh, she's about to let him in the car and I looked over and I'm like, Oh, those are cute shirts. And then I did a double take and I looked over again <laughs> and I said, is that really say what I think it says? And my wife, uh, innocently now just grabbed it because she thought the shirt was cute. Never read the wording. God. <laughs> had my second grade daughters in two t-shirts that said shake your shamrocks 
Oh, Wendy. And I, oh, my God. I almost fell out. And I said, do you, know, do you see those shirts? Said, oh, yeah, they're cute. I said, have you read them? <laughs> it was, and if you knew my wife, it was totally innocent. And look, she goes in 900 different directions, this woman. And so she never took time to, like, read the shirt. She just thought the shamrock was cute and uh, yeah, shake your shamrock. Sometimes you just have to let your hair down and shake your shamrocks, Jim. <laughs> That's it. I said they're not Jesus. wearing green today, baby. Jesus. Oh, you you, uh, you you pulled the uh, you pulled the shirts out. I did. I told her. I said uh, they're changing like right now. <laughs> And uh, another shirt because they're not wearing shake your shame. I mean, could you imagine had oh, I not noticed God. that? Teacher would have been like, uh. <laughs> but a second grade, you don't really have shamrocks to shake. <laughs> well, well you, you shake your seeds the then, I guess. <laughs> That's not the point. That's not the point. So I missed this totally. It is the wording. Okay. I'm like, oh my gosh. So anyway, that was my share. I think of that every St. Patrick's Day because that was so funny. Um, So we're going to go on to give you another story. And how about a man robbing a bank? And he was dressed as a leprechaun. Now, back on St. Patrick's Day in 2010, First State Bank in Nashville was held up by a man presumably looking for his pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. Yes, this bank robber was dressed as a leprechaun. Police said the gun-toting leprechaun scored an undisclosed amount of money before leaving the bank, joined another suspect in the car outside, and the two fled. Cops spotted the vehicle, gave chase, and a wild gunfight broke out. Now, a police cruiser was hit by several bullets. It was disabled, and the two suspects crashed, ditched their car, and fled on foot into a field. One suspect was killed by police fire. The other took his own life as the cops closed in. The money was recovered from the abandoned vehicle, which had a large leprechaun hat <laughs> in the back I'm seat. Sorry. I'm sorry. A seasonal robber, the man, had also held up a bank three days before Christmas wearing a Christmas Santa suit. Investigators in the Nashville suburb said information from the FBI linked David Christopher Cotton to the December robbery. So this guy, you know, he was in the spirit. He would have probably wore a Shake Your Shamrock shirt. Listen, and he missed his bank. calling. He should have been a kindergarten teacher. I mean, he likes to dress That's up in it. theme. He's That's got right. his outfit. Yeah, he, he had his bunny costume ready yes, for the Easter yes. uh, robbery. Hop that on did, in, bud. That didn't get to take place. I, I, bet he I just, did. as a cop, you're chasing a guy in a leprechaun costume. And I would be pissed if I got shot by a leprechaun. I'm going to throw it out there. Yeah, that's not a way. To, you don't that's want that. That's not the badge I want. You don't want, want that in the news. No. You don't want that in the jacket. No. <laughs> Jeez, I'm peace. But I, I don't know. Then um, I'd feel kind of so bad for shooting would, a leprechaun. Yeah, I would have aimed low or something. Um, I mean, they. Oh, but I think the leprechaun killed himself, though, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Okay. The other so, one got killed, his getaway driver. Yeah, so, you know. So. The leprechaun deciding to eat a bullet. From his own gun is, I guess. Well, it was probably, you know, gold colored. He got his yeah. gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looking dark. for my pot of gold. Well, anyway, of, happy St. Patrick's Day. A lot of stuff Day, happening around Nashville. Oh, that was back in 2010, but uh, yeah. we've had some interesting Nashville stories this year. I call it Nash Vegas. Nash Vegas. Those, those who have partied there before call that. What well, happens in the Nash stays That's in the right. Nash. Well, this is a story not out of Nashville, but one of our other favorite geographies for the weird. Um, this is the state of Florida. Everything in Florida is weird. Well, it is, happens there. This is a good one. So we're uh, let's call this story Man Punches Pizza Guy. So when a Domino's pizza delivery man forgot to bring 346-pound Robert Wheeler, the garlic knots that he had ordered, along with his pizza— Things didn't go so well for that delivery man. The Florida man has been charged with battery, according to a police report. Wheeler, the 346-pound guy who ordered the garlic knots, is 48 years old. He was arrested nearly two weeks ago following the skirmish that broke out outside a house in his hometown of Vero Beach. The delivery man's poor guy's 19 years old. 19-year-old Jonathan Fagan told investigators that the 346-pound Wheeler struck him below the left eye after he rolled down the window of his vehicle. Fagan, who had redness and swelling on the spot where he was punched, according to a police report, had initially declined medical attention. However, his mother, 
later contacted the River County Sheriff's Office and said that she was taking him to an emergency room because he was complaining of headaches and nausea. So very frustrating when you don't get all your food. Uh, well, uh, the garlic knots in particular. Those are good. Yeah, they're tasty. They're tasty. I've seen a problem with this and, guy. Uh, you know, if you if you, if you're a 346 pound guy like Wheeler, now I I took a little uh, a little picture of uh, of Wheeler, so his headshot is uh, is here. Maybe we'll post that headshot. He looks like Santa. He may have been a holiday Santa Claus that that very well could have been one of the uh, one of the jobs on his resume. But certainly from his uh, the shape and size of his head, it looks like he was all of that 346 pounds. And when the customer's 346 pounds, you don't F with their garlic knots. Um, that hope- should be the motto. We don't F with your knots. Yeah, hopefully 19-year-old <laughs> Jonathan Fagan has... Learn from this, and whoever was taking the orders uh, there at that Domino's location has learned their lesson as well. Perhaps they should uh, they should have everyone who uh, who places a takeout order uh, leave their weight with them when they leave the order, so they can prioritize exactly. those orders based like nine one one based upon the size of the customer. What the, well, because you could do that, you get away with that with a hundred eighty pound person. You know, you don't have to bring the garlic knots to them. Yeah. You should, but if you missed it, you probably wouldn't get punched. But the well, my question is this: Did he get all of that poundage outside? Walk to the car to punch him because he just rolled his window down. Yeah. So does that mean he chased him to the car and then punched him in the face? He probably took the food, brought it in, and he was like, "Wait a minute, where, where am I? Where are my knots? Where am I not?" And so he's like, "I'm going to catch him before he leaves," and run out there. And the guy probably nicely, yes, sir. And he was like. Pop. Well, look, when I was little. I have another theory, though. I have another theory, which is when you're the 346-pound guy ordering the Domino's, when you see that little thing on the roof of the car, it's your your only exercise is you go out there to greet that car to get your knots and your pizza. The guy rolls down the window to hand you the stuff. There's only the pizza there. And then you take the swipe because if you're running after him, chances are you're not going to catch him. Yes. Yeah. If you're uh, well, when, when I was little, if I acted up, my mom when I was my mama got really mad at me. She'd say, "You get over here, kid. I'm gonna snatch a knot in your ass." I think that's what she meant. I think so. Snatch. She would. Sna- a it's knot. a southern thing. I will snatch a knot, snatch a knot in your ass. Meaning I'm gonna put a bump on you if you don't get over here. Right. Hmm. I've been told that myself. See? Wendy tells me. Really? Yeah. I tell my family that. I mean, shout out, ma'am. But I will snatch an onion. Mike has something to Google later. (laughs) You know, when you're hangry, you're hangry is all I can say. And I'll tell you what, um, I have one one instance I went to, uh, it might have been McDonald's or something, and it was late at night. Oh, the ice cream machine was broken then. starving. (laughs) And, you know, they had this deal where if you order food, sometimes they'll make you pull up and kind of wait for it. And I was hungry. And and I'm like, all I did was order, like, one thing, and I've got to pull up and wait for it. So I did. And I waited, and I waited. And after about 15 minutes of sitting here, I'm like, I think they forgot. And I was so hungry. Now I was hangry. Mm-hmm. So I get out of the car, and I go in the thing, and I'm like, where's my food? And I never do that. But it was like something came out. Where is my food? And Dig the guy's like, belly. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. I've been out there and I threw a blaming fit over like a quarter pounder. You're that guy. (laughs) Oh, I was so hungry. And I never done that, but I was so hungry. So I kind of get it anyway. Well, I just add on to that. I went to to McDonald's and ordered me a chicken sandwich. Yeah. This is a true story. Yeah. Got on the interstate and like every good citizen I'm eating while I'm driving. (laughs) I opened my chicken sandwich. There was no chicken on it. <gasps> what did you you had one job you a bun you had one job one job chicken guy where's the chicken guy could have been an invisible chicken sandwich maybe it was a weight loss maybe they didn't want me to be 346 pounds yeah. and they were helping me out you know what yeah, i take so. that back thank you no i think that's uh that's a pilot error that's there. That's, that's 15 dollars yeah. an hour wage right yeah, there yeah. well since we're, since we're telling the chicken fast food stories i'll i'll, I'll tell a quick one I was in Dallas on a uh, uh, on a business trip to a, a trade show event, and um, and a bunch of us were out way too late and had way too much to drink, but never really had dinner, and so we 
we pulled into a Whataburger drive-through, and I think there were six of us in the car, and we ordered thirty-six or forty-eight <laughs> something that's divisible by six taquitos. Oh. They're not big. The yeah, you might Whataburger yeah. taquitos. So we uh, we left the drive-through, turned around, and and parked in a spot and began woofing these things down. Um, and everybody sort of hit a wall after like four <laughs> or five of the taquitos, right? So I look down, everybody's done eating, and we've got like two bags left over of these things. So we, I don't know, we had 18 or 24 taquitos left over. So I went back around to the drive-through, and the guy comes on, you know, welcome to Whataburger, can I help you please? And I said, yeah, I'd like to return some taquitos. <laughs> and the guy goes, What? I said, no, I'd like to return some taquitos. And he said, well, what's wrong with them? I said, well, nothing's wrong with them. We, you know, we, we weren't as hungry as we thought we were. We ordered too many. And so we, we want to return these. We can't eat them. And he says, you can't return taquitos. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I have the receipt right here. So, <laughs> so he, he's getting really, really frustrated and says, pull up. So I, I pull up and everybody in the car is cracking up and I have the receipt right there. And I said, look, here's the receipt. Sorry, we ordered too many and uh, we'd like to return these. And he said, well, that's against our policy. We don't, you, you can't return food. And I said, where is that written? I said, tell me where, is that on my receipt? Is that over on the, uh, oh over on the, uh, the menu over there? Does it say anything about not being able to return? And so at this point, and this is like, you know, some, 17 year old with, yeah. you know, uh, uh, a, a big face of acne. Who's like, I, I can't, I, what do I do? I don't. So he goes for the manager. So the manager comes over and I repeat my story with the manager and the manager's dumbfounded by the whole thing as well. And so, uh, you know, finally they have like no other recourse. They got six guys just abusing them about taking the return on the taquitos. So we returned, I don't know how many it was. That's epic. It's I bet like your picture 18. is also hung in the back. I'm most wanted at I wouldn't Whataburger. Go, no taquitos go for this I don't, like, I don't think again. I've been to Whataburger since. <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize to the audience for that Whataburger yeah. break. Oh, good Lord. We're going to have to move it on over to Ohio right now because this story, y'all, I take this story personal. I have to tell you about this. But first, I'll tell you what, the, what happened. An Ohio police officer had to shoot and kill a zebra that bit its owner. Now, I would like you to know, I know you can't see me right now, but I'm actually wearing a shirt with zebras on it. Her St. Patty's Day green zebra shirt. The zebras are actually green. This was meant to be. Now, listen. Authorities in Ohio say a man almost lost his arm when he was attacked by a pet zebra over the weekend. So the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office responded to the home in Circleville on Sunday after a man called in saying, quote unquote, his arm had been bitten off by a zebra. Now, he said, I think they tore, I think he tore my arm off and the victim, poor fella, this is 72-year-old Ronald Clifton, and he was found lying on the ground and he was hemorrhaging below his right elbow when the officers arrived at the scene. And so when they got there, the zebra started, you know, flexing, right? He's going to act out. And they said he was being very aggressive when they tried to, to deal with him. And so they eventually had to shoot and kill him. The victim is not expected to lose his arm based on the reports. And the zebra repeatedly kept approaching the first responders and Clifton's family as the victim received treatment at the scene. So officers did all they could do to try to scare him away using air horns and sirens. They tried to use their vehicles. Um, but the quote unquote hostile zebra kept charging at his patrol vehicle. And so one deputy claimed that the zebra was protective of about five or six female zebras that were in the field. And it turns out that the police sergeant that day on duty um, had to eventually kill him, uh, the zebra, after it kept approaching them. And the family did give permission for them to kill him. It wasn't like they were, you know, animal abusing, abusing out there. And um, so the officer said, I had to make a decision, so I'll put a slug right between its eyes. Mm. Now, oh, let me tell you something. This, this story is personal to me. I want to warn all of our listeners, you watch out for a zebra. Because I want you to envision I am nine months pregnant. I'm a big old girl. I'm a whole snack, okay, of a, of a, of a whale of a woman. And we, y'all know Global Wildlife Center? Yes. Okay. 
there's so just so you know there's a there's a center out towards like scott kankton area and it's a, like a um animal wildlife place and you can get on this train and, and it rides through and you can feed the animals and watch them. And it's really a lot of fun. You ought to go do it. If they you got know. some exotics. They have out exotics there. out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it was my, my baby's birthday. I'm pregnant with one and it's my other child's birthday. So I paid for what's called a pins tour. And that's where they put you on these little, you know, they look like safari Jeeps and they'll actually drive you up to the animals instead of just going on the, on the train. So I get my big old butt up in that thing and i'm ready to go have a good time with my baby i'm taking pictures so we get out there and these the zebras come up and this big old longhorn uh cow thing and all these other little and i'm just having the time of my life and i'm snapping pictures and y'all i lean forward my baby's and my child in front of me and i'm taking a picture and next thing i know Every ounce of back fat between my shoulder blades <laughs> oh my was in the jaws of a zebra. That sucker walked right up behind me, snuck me, and went <laughs> and grabbed my meat. Behind, <laughs> my and, God. Wait, oh, so you were allowed to get out of the Jeep? No, and next- oh, I didn't get out of the Jeep. He came in the Jeep. He, came he put the- his head, because it's open, there's no windows. He reached in and just on. I hadn't even said a foul word at him. I didn't even know he was there. And he grabbed my back fat and he bit down. I have never in the history of ever felt such trauma. Did he break skin? Did he penetrate and cut you? No. So my pressure, I'm screaming and I'm literally going, ah, ah, and everyone thinks I'm just being dramatic, but they don't realize he's latched onto me. So then my husband was like, oh, and like punch the zebra, zebra lets go. And <laughs> he, I'm punches like, <laughs> he punches you, zebra. Listen, listen, he's a hero. Whatever happened, that zebra removed That's itself awesome. from my back fat. Y'all, teeth marks oh, from a zebra. So I guess zebras are territorial, I guess? They're nippy. Yeah. They're and nippy. he took issue with the, with the shirt I had on, so he bit me. So I can attest. So you know what, Mr. 72-year-old Ronald Clifton? You're a G for surviving the zebra bite. I still have nightmares. Well, it sounds like this particular zebra had a pretty nice life. He had... These five female zebras yeah. that were, you know, hey, look, typical, stable, typical, um, unappreciative zebra living a good life, being taken care, care cared up, taken care okay, of. Who, who the hell has zebras as pets? Well, when, you know when did that become a thing? Zebras are allowed as pets in Ohio because the state does not list them as wild or dangerous animals. And so, are they like, can you have a zebra in Louisiana? I don't think so. I think you have to have a permit. Because like we can't have monkey, we're not supposed to have like monkeys either. I think in in uh, I think I think you're right. Like you have to have a special permit for those. But I just want you to know if you ever see me out and I run up to a zebra and punch it, it's from past trauma. Yeah, no, I I, and I would understand <laughs> in that case. Given, um, but uh, this is a, a lot of new information about uh, about zebras here. I was not familiar with the territorial nature of the beast. You know, it makes you sort of wonder this Ronald Clifton. I don't know how many years he had these zebras as as pets, but um, obviously that uh, that lead male zebra uh, did not uh, did not appreciate him or did not appreciate him enough to uh, uh, to go and bite him like that. Maybe. Sounds like my teenager at home. She doesn't appreciate anything. Yeah. Well, maybe he thought Ronald had an interest in one of his five female zebras. That's so, another story. So you know that was uh, you're not getting near my ladies. Nope. So he took a bullet. He took a bullet. R.I.P. Zebra. So a Kansas man who has robbed a bank told police he was hoping to get caught so he would get prison time to escape his wife. (laughs) (laughs) He got sentenced Tuesday to six months of home confinement. Oh, (laughs) guilty and a miss. Well played. Yeah, the judge on that case knew just what he was doing. So I got to tell you all this story. Lawrence John Ripple took the guilty plea. He told the judge Tuesday that he had heart surgery, left him depressed when he committed a bank robbery. His public defender told the court that Ripple had lived a law-abiding life and was in a stable relationship with his wife. He had four stepchildren. Ripple handed a note to the bank teller at a Kansas City bank. Basically, the note demanded cash and warned he had a gun. Ripple took the money, which was $2,900. He went to sit in the lobby, and he told the guard, I'm the guy you're looking for. Officers arrived, and an FBI agent wrote in the affidavit that Ripple had earlier been arguing with his wife. Now, he told the FBI agent 
that he wrote a note in front of his wife saying, I'd rather be in jail than to be here with you. <laughs> True story. So the Man dude leaves, <laughs> robs a bank, sits in the lobby and says, I'm going to prove to her I'd rather be in jail. Well, the judge had the last laugh because he said, you know what? You're sentenced to six months home confinement. So wow. now he has to stay in the house with his wife. Yep. Listen, the things we do. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm taking... I'm going to have to take notes on this because, you know, I know that there's a problem with men because y'all cannot. It's like physically impossible for y'all to put laundry in laundry baskets. <laughs> y'all can't do it. I'm going to go next time anybody misses a laundry basket in my house. Bank robbery. That's it. It's well, soft. but here's the thing. Even if you if you do that. See, I think what would have been the right thing to do here is to have the wife involved be called into court and have the court decide whether they all would have gone and robbed a bank if they had to live with this This should woman. have been on the people's court. Yeah, yeah. This needed to be on T- Judge Million or Judge Judy. Because she could have been. This is the defendant. She could, she could have been so awful <laughs> that they all would have sided with him and yeah. been like, yeah, you're right. You needed to. She may have caused this. Um, but, to, but I don't think she did, gentlemen. I think this is the man's fault. I think so. I think in this case, Probably. he took it a little bit too far. All he had to do was empty the dishwasher. I'm telling you, <laughs> empty the dishwasher and take the trash out, bro. Gosh. What uh, kind of, I mean, what he, kind of lady could she have been? Happening? He must have been living in total hell. <laughs> He's so- like, I'm going to rob a bank. I've had enough. He should. No, you know what he should have done? He should have left and went and got with their daddy and, and lived with their daddy. He was the stepdad. I'd rather be with him than you. <laughs> uh, some people just shouldn't be together. Divorce, yeah. separation. Yeah. I mean, those uh, might have been options. I don't know. Hell, go to the bar and have a drink. Poor Eat a moon pie and- Lawrence Ripple. Go. He didn't want to share his retirement, I guess. <laughs> it's just like, if I'm in jail, I ain't got to split it with you. <laughs> we wish him luck in his six months of home confinement. Good luck, Larry. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. So on to more serious matters. Seven Virginia sheriff's deputies were arrested in connection with an inmate's death. These seven deputies have been arrested and charged with second-degree murder in connection with the death of Ervo Atinio while he was in custody. This is a weird, I don't know where this is in Virginia. The Henrico County Sheriff's deputies, Henrico County, never heard of that one, uh, turned themselves into the Virginia State Police Bureau on the morning of Tuesday, March 14th, just a couple of days ago. All seven deputies have been placed on administrative leave during the murder investigation and are being held without bond. The deputies were identified as Randy Joseph Boyer, 57, Dwayne Allen Bramble, 37, Jermaine LeVar Branch, 45, Bradley Thomas DC, 43, Tabitha Renee LeVere, 50, Brandon Edwards Rogers, 48, and Cavell DeJour Sanders, 30. Atiano 28 was being transported to Central State Hospital in Dinwiddie County, Virginia, for treatment when he became combative, according to a spokesperson for the Virginia State Police. Central State is a maximum security psychiatric facility run by the state. Jail records show that Atiano was placed under supervised custody and assigned to a medical or hospital treatment center. The circumstances surrounding his transport to the hospital and death aren't really clear. The investigation is ongoing. He was arrested originally on March 3rd. Uh, the Henrico police spokesperson, a guy by the name of Matt Pekka, who's a lieutenant, um, took Atieno to an area hospital for further evaluation where Atieno became physically assaultive toward the officers. Uh, he was arrested on charges of assaulting law enforcement, disorderly conduct, vandalism, and taken to jail. His mother told the Richmond Times-Dispatch last week that her son had suffered from periodic bouts of mental illness beginning in his late teens, but said that he did not have a record of violence. She also said that while he uh, had been brought to the jail during the weekend, he wouldn't be provided medication to control his mental health issues until he saw a jail doctor on Monday. So right when he was arrested, he had to go through a couple-of-day period of not getting his meds. When Atiano was scheduled to see the jail doctor that Monday, he was taken to the hospital where the police said he was restrained and later died. So this is while he was in transport to 
uh, go to see the doctor to get these meds. The state medical examiner is trying to determine the cause and manner of death. Um, in 2021, there were 77 in custody deaths reported in the state. That seems like an awful lot. Yeah, but you um, know, let me tell you, if you don't mind, can I can jump sure. in real quick? So I, I take issue with a couple of things that are not mentioned here in the, in this article. Because when you read this off the top, it looks horrible, right? It looks like seven or eight officers jumped one guy and, and killed him. And that's what the narrative usually is in, on TV. But having worked in corrections, if you don't know that about me, um, you know, there is a disconnect, a huge disconnect between how we're dealing with people who are criminal and psychiatric patients. And, you know, police are not therapists, uh, psychotherapists or, or psychologists or anything like that. And so what happens is they're not mentioning also in here that statistically um, transporting of inmates is one of the most dangerous of correctional jobs that there are. And there's stats on that to show you how dangerous transport is because we're not in a very controlled environment. But number two, if he was not on his meds, um, then to say he doesn't have a history of violence, maybe that's true, but maybe when medicated. So my argument mm, here, point. again, he's dead, and he I, and I, my heart goes out to his family, and I'm not in any way trying to victim blame here. I'm just trying to look at this at totality of circumstance. And anybody who is not under their psychotropic meds that may keep them in line has the ability to get out of line very quickly. And the training that we receive in law enforcement and in correctional restraint um doesn't 100% necessarily take into account what medical problems the person is having. So if he had high blood pressure or we have a thing called excited delirium that people can experience, which is deadly, but it's a natural occurring response. And so I'm not defending right here. I don't have enough information for that, but I feel like they just didn't quite give us quite enough here to say, you know, did they beat him to death? Did they choke him out or did he die? But everything they did was completely by the book. Right. Is that a fair I, I thing? think it is. And look, uh, people, you know, a lot of people don't realize that anytime you're in a, um, a stress situation, your heart rate will ra- rise extremely fast. And yeah. within a couple of seconds, your heart rate can literally go from, say, 60 beats per minute to over 250 beats per minute. Uh, when that occurs, and that's how you hear stories, you hear stories sometimes of, of someone, you know, lifting a car in a car accident over there, you know, to get their kid out or ripping the car door off. And it's a 115 pound female. And how the heck is that possible? Well, that's how you get such a shot of adrenaline Mm -hmm. so fast in a situation like that. Your heart rises so fast that you're able to do these things that don't make sense. Um, It can also kill you. So in a situation where, there's any sort of incident, and and uh, I don't know if that's what happened here, but it could right. have been a situation where his heart rate just raised to the point just from the sheer stress of what's going on that he had a heart attack. Well, and also other things that – and again, not victim blaming, victim blaming. I promise you I'm not. I, I have a heart for people, and I want – I hope he didn't suffer, and I hope that this was you know uh, not what it, it kind of looks like in the way it's presented. But also in jails – Y'all, they have access to drugs. That's a joke to say that there aren't drugs in jail. And something with that with that excited delirium, let's just say he did get a hold of something, which he may not have. I may be completely wrong, but we don't have enough here. Then that can also cause the body with that excited delirium to go hypothermic. You know, your blood pressure, your body heats up and everything, and it will kill you so fast that I think they should have given a little bit more information here. This just happened, but, um, you know, I think you see a lot of these uh, stories and, you know, years ago, people like this would have just been locked up in a psychiatric facility. Right. And uh, and for whatever reason, what's happened with the system, more and more of these uh, uh, people with uh, these conditions are out there. Uh, they do refer to an expert from something called the uh Justice, justice involved populations for community oriented correctional health services. Talk Say about a bunch of uh, a long title, but uh, this guy says his name is uh, Daniel Mistak. That jails don't have the resources or training to manage mental mental health crises for many people going through the booking system. If someone is at the beginning of a mental health crisis, being booked into jail is the perfect way to accelerate 
the crisis. And uh, so maybe that's that's true. And we've got this great disconnect because we're no longer locking these people up. They are out there and law enforcement is not necessarily uh, trained to handle these kinds of situations. Right. And, and it doesn't mean you're not compassionate. It doesn't mean that you're not wanting the best for people. It just, and I've worked the road too. I don't know if the listeners know that, uh, you know, and I am a commission deputy and your heart goes out to people who are in the throes of a mental, a mental situation. However, safety matters. And, you know, we've had mental health pay, um, people before in the th- good people who something has happened in life and triggers them like the guy who just robbed a bank because his wife pissed him off. They do crazy things and they'll point a gun at you. That did not happen here, obviously. But we're not. Well, we don't know. We don't we, know. what. Ha- well, we know. We, we, yeah, yeah point a gun. right. But, you know, it, it's kind of like you have to look at it from both sides. You know, you want to survive at the end of the day. But you also understand someone's in the throes of a mental breakdown. And it's a very complicated line. You know, humanity's hard. I don't know how to explain that. Well, and hopefully these uh, officers will get a fair process here. And, and the truth uh, should. And the truth yeah. will come out and and maybe uh, they'll find that there's no wrongdoing here. And right. Or they maybe the they're they could. dead wrong. So we'll see, right? Yes, we will see. All right. Well, hey, y'all want to um, take it on to a. A, a happy story yeah. with a happy ending. Is a zebra yeah. involved? No, it's a dog though. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Ooh, I lo- okay, I'm a dog lover, so I really love this story. So this uh, is out of Texas. A police officer in Texas runs outside in the middle of a tornado to rescue his canine partner. Awesome. I'm telling you, that's like, that gives you the good feels. All right. So we're going to call this our super cop today. And this is the, just a really cool t- uh, story out of Deer Park, Texas. And so, you know, they say dogs are man's best friend, right? But, this this officer proved it. So he ran outside in the middle of a tornado to get his dog out of his car. His name is Officer Joel Nichman, and he's with the uh, Deer Park Police Department. And he says, you know, basically that his canine partner, Roni, was in his kennel in the squad car when he realized that the tornado was coming. And he said, quote, I'll never forget the noise. That's when I knew this was a big tornado. The winds had started picking up, and this was on January 24th, right after they had just returned from a training So uh, the officer said, the thought of debris or that car flipping over, I just couldn't. I couldn't do that to him. I couldn't have him out there during that. He put himself in harm's way for me before. And that's true, right? He he gives his life for you or would be willing to. Nichman said the debris was hitting his face and that he struggled to get the door to the squad car open during the high winds. He said, I could barely open his door. When I did, he's a smart dog. He saw what was going on outside and he was like, I'm not coming out. (laughs) So the dog didn't want to come out. And at one point, the visibility is down to zero. And I know that because there's a video, if y'all want to go look it up, there's a video of him actually rescuing the dog and you see the tornado coming through while he's trying to get his dog out. Matter of fact, we're going to link that video to the description. Yeah, it's crazy. In the show notes. He said, I'm like coaxing him. Come on, buddy. Let's go, said Nichman. I love that dog. He's my hip attachment almost every day of the week. He's a part of our family. You can't leave a loved one like that. There's no way I was going to leave him like that. And he didn't, y'all. So uh, Deer Park, by the way, it's city. It's a city uh, located just west of Houston. And, you know, that's a feel-good story, but also – um, if you want to get real boring with it real quick, um, he saved the taxpayers a lot of money too, because those dogs are not cheap. No kidding. No. Tell, tell, tell me about that. Cause you have a lot of experience. Yeah. And so with a uh, canine, now I'm speaking in our area right now, this is not necessarily the national average, but you know, we use Belgian Malinois. That's mm. the dogs that we use. And you've seen videos, they can run and jump and they are crazy, mm-hmm. uh, hyper and, and awesome dogs for, you know, a multitude of uses. But these dogs cost like, Twenty plus thousand dollars. Really, these dogs, and the reason is because now, if someone right now is listening, going, "No, it depends on where you are and where you get your dogs." But our dogs out here in Livingston Parish, where we are, are trained by a company called USK9, right? And they do tons of training. The dogs come from, um, you know, like Belgium, and they um, speak Dutch, and their commands are in Dutch. The dogs speak Dutch. The do- the dogs speak Dutch. <laughs> yes, the dogs actually speak fluent Dutch. But you, you mean so the, the twenty thousand is is the all in expense to absolutely. deliver a dog that is yes, ready to go are, to work. Absolutely, and so you don't want to put money to a dog. You know, you love your dogs, but he he did a solid for everybody involved there because there it's a lot of training involved, and um, you know. 
canines are so important in policing because they, um, you know, can search not only for people by scent, but they also can do articles. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of that, but, you know, those dogs can find um, credit cards. They can find cell phones. Yes, they can. People don't know that. They can find, you know, it's it's a scent based thing, obviously, but they um, they can find knives, guns at Angola. Um, the dogs out there can um, smell the lithium, can can get the lithium in the cell phone battery. So that's how they can find cell phones. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So these dogs are top notch. Well, and I'll tell you, indeed they are. And we just talked about a case uh, with Nathan Millard that is obviously still uh, booming and going on. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, what amazed me was they were able to take a canine. And even though the man of interest that they have now arrested had burned his car, that canine, I, I mean, burned it, set mm-hmm. it on fire, right? Mm-hmm. Whole thing burned up. That canine was still able to, uh, I guess, react to a scent that a body had been in the trunk. 100%. So let me tell you about these dogs, how cool this is. So uh, canines, police canines. Okay, when we walk into McDonald's Mm. and you smell food, you say, ooh, I smell chicken nuggets. I smell a burger, you know, Mm. or I smell steak or whatever, wherever you are, you smell some, some type of food. Right. When a canine comes in, a dog goes, ooh, I smell bread and lettuce and cheese, and tomatoes, and meat, and mayo, the dog nose is so specific, it can break down and smell the ingredients. Yes. So most of our canines, um, and I'm not necessarily saying these are the Malinois, but these dogs, they can smell... Um, that they can get, you know, cocaine and they can sniff cocaine. Hey, yeah. did, did y'all see uh, cocaine? Real, real quick, sideways note: Did has it, have y'all watched Corky Romano? <laughs> no. Oh my God! For the love of God, do this for our listeners or your listeners, Woody. I'm taking Woody's spot. Uh, <laughs> please, I'm going to send you a link to the movie Corky Romano. It's a hilarious movie, and um, Chris Kattan is in it, yeah, yeah, and yeah, he's I'm... got cocaine and the police dog, and it's funny. I'm going to send you a link, y'all. Uh, it's a teaser. You have to go. Uh, watch I thought it. you were going down the cocaine bear route. Which which I no, haven't seen yet, but no. <laughs> um, but I I do remember my my boys making me watch Corky Romano at some point. Oh my god! But I don't remember the the dog part. But so let me funny. ask you something from Jim's story. Yeah. So uh, the dog picks up the uh, cadaver scent in mm-hmm. the uh, in the trunk of the car that's been burned. Mm-hmm. That's admissible. I believe so because it's okay. I'm not an expert on this, um, but I believe so because it is a. It's a step towards probable cause. If yes. you can smell, yes. If you can smell the scent, they smell the decay, the and then they have a signal that they have to do, and that's called J and D. Okay, so that's I didn't realize I knew so much about these dogs. All right, so J and D is called just noticeable difference, and so whenever they're training these dogs. Um, J and D is what the handler is looking for. So whenever people are like, "Oh, they can just make the dog do whatever they want," no, the dog has certain. Um, some of them will sit, some of them will scratch, some of them, their body language changes. And anyone who's worked with that dog as their handler for enough time will know it. It's like your dog, you know, you would know, you know, your dog, you know, he wouldn't do that, or he would do that, or he's not acting right. It's the same thing. And so when they, they have to be able to articulate in the report, the J and D, the just noticeable difference, but then when they can, you know, and then it leads up to, yes, there was the scent. That's what they were trained on. They give all of their uh, trainings and certificates and all of their, um, you know, they, ha- they have to be recertified and everything. So, okay, so so basically the dog can give testimony. Yes. Not speaking Dutch, just right. give testimony. <laughs> right. Um, so long as uh, he's certified and he's um, accepted in the community as a, you know, he's under those stipulations. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Love that story. Very Pretty cool. Good. So y'all, save your pets. There's a guy in Florida. You know how we said weird stuff happens in Florida too? There's an old man, and he's standing in a pond. He's smoking a cigar, and his little frou-frou white fluffy dog goes out in the pond. An alligator. alligator oh, I've seen that one. And he punches the alligator. I've seen that one, You yeah. get it, Pawpaw. That's, uh, that's great. I mean, he actually goes underwater. To For real? That, yeah. And yanks it out of- uh, Save your dogs, uh, guys. Out of the gator's mouth. <laughs> Punch- I wish- I, I wish I, I, Punch a zebra, save your dog. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of weird animal stuff today.
All right, guys, that was a fun show. Thanks, Kelly, for coming by. And and uh, look, totally short notice, y'all. We we reached out to her yesterday late in the evening, and she was kind enough to come in. I'm just honored sub. to come, honestly. I think this is great. I love your show, and I, we listen. My husband is a huge fan, so to get to be on it is even better. Yes, and uh, look, we want to mention, for all of y'all out there that may not be familiar, Kelly has her own podcast. It is absolutely killing it right now. Unspeakable, Unspeakable. a true. Crime podcast by Kelly Jennings, uh, and you talk about unspeakable topics from yeah. all over the country. It's all right? about true crime, and it's from a southern uh, woman's point of view, I guess, yeah. and um, not for the faint of heart. So if you're no. easily offended, I'm not your girl. That's but right. <laughs> uh, yeah, unspeakable true crime podcast by Kelly Jennings. It's on all uh, major platforms, and if you're looking at it. Um, Make sure you're getting the little picture that's got, it looks like a police car light and a woman with a finger over her mouth going, shh. <laughs> yeah, so, and we're going to make it easy. We're going to we're gonna link that in the show notes. Okay, awesome. Let's hey, do that. Kelly, you are awesome, and thank you very much for doing this. We really appreciate it. No problem. I'd love to come back sometime if you'll have me. Absolutely. Remember that, folks. Unspeakable, a true crime podcast by Kelly Jennings can be found on any audio network. And she has a patron you can also subscribe to. It's pretty cool. So thanks again for coming by. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. I'm Mike Agavino. I'm Kelly Jennings standing in for Woody Mancold Overton. (laughs) And for Real Life, Real Crime Daily, peace. Show business. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.